Hello, La Liga fans, and welcome back to the Total Football Analysis La Liga podcast. My name is Alex Comcia, and I'm very excited to be joined once again by our all-star lineup, starting off with El Profesor Chris Mumford. How are you doing, Chris? Fabuloso. Thanks for having me. We also got pro defender DJ Taylor back. Thanks for joining us once again, DJ, and how are you? Good, man. Thanks for having me. And of course, we have our expert analyst, Scott Martin, on deck. How's it going, Scott? Oh, Alex. Glad to be back. Glad for another week of La Liga. All right. Well, let's recap some of the action from this past week. Once again, we saw another pretty entertaining week of La Liga, like you said, Scott. Real Madrid continues to get the job done and sits at the top of La Liga with 77 points maintaining that four-point lead above, above arch-rivals FC Barcelona. You can bet our man Scott enjoyed the recent results from Los Blancos. So, Scott, how did the match versus Hitafe play out? A 1-0 score for Real Madrid. It seemed like Hitafe was causing Madrid some issues early on. Uh, yeah, so in the attack... Uh, Hitafe was able to generate a number of decent opportunities in the first 15 minutes of the match, uh, put Real Madrid under some pressure, uh, didn't quite look like Madrid was settled and prepared for the, the intense pressure that Hitafe was going to bring. And I think this is something we've discussed in the past, that you have to be able to ride out that, that Hitafe storm and, and adapt to their, their tempo. So they came out hot and heavy, and uh, they, they really put a lot of pressure on Real Madrid. So, but after 15 minutes, uh, I really struggled to generate any meaningful scoring opportunities. And from there, it was really just a matter of could they hold Real Madrid and, uh, you know, hold their def- uh, attack. So for the most part, they were able to keep the field compact. They kept their lines tight and denied line-breaking passes to Real Madrid. And you could see that Los Blancos did struggle throughout the match. Uh, but eventually as they tend to do, especially under Zidane. They found a way, controversy or not, they pulled it out with the Ramos PK. Exactly. Madrid seems to be finding a way, especially as of late and this, this season. So Matias Oliveira commits a silly PK, and Carvajal gets, takes advantage of an inside-the-foot cut, and he goes down. DJ, I, I bet you probably loved watching this as a right back. Was this just lazy defending on Carvajal, though? And how would you react to one of your teammates if you're playing for Hitafe? You've been playing so well, and he commits that foul and almost bails Real Madrid out. I mean, I think obviously, like, if it was for me, I'd be very frustrated. I think, like you said, it was a, it was a silly foul is what you can say it, but I think at the end of the day, as a defender, especially in that position, once you get beat, you have to let the, the attacker go. Once they have that body position on you, you, you just have to let it go. You have to let them keep dribbling and try to find another spot where you can, you know, make a new play with it. But obviously, he left his leg in on purpose. He obviously could have pulled it back. But uh, once you leave your leg in and they create any type of contact, you know the attacker is going down. So for me, it was kind of heartbreaking to see Gattafi do all that work and, and almost hold it and then just lose it within one split second. Obviously, Ramos has been merciful, not merciful with his PKs, so almost disrespectful, but I like it. <laughs> exactly. So at that point, DJ, when you're out of position and you're reaching, would you almost just 
let that go and trust your keeper to make the save instead of committing the PK? Yeah, for me, I think I would just I would pull my leg out and let it let the play happen. You know, if you right. got you get beat, you get beat. You know, as a defender, you're gonna get beat, and it's better if I feel in that position to to trust your goalie and see if he can make a save rather than all the fault be coming on to you because you left your leg out there. <laughs> I completely agree. Yeah, so well, and the other thing to consider is even if he does get by on the inside, that's still a really tight angle as well. So not a, a great shooting lane. Um, so really should have let him go. Uh, the other thing, uh, I mean, guys, pro defenders, I mean, what, what do you think about his starting point as he engaged? Uh, it looked like he was cut a little too close to the end line. Yes. Not really dictating where Carvajal was going to go. He was really at his mercy at the time of the move. And he over he overstepped, he overreached, didn't move his feet well enough, and he was square to Carvajal, which is obviously, as DJ will tell you, not ideal. And I'm sure Chris will agree that he would rather have a shot from that angle than a PK, especially the way that keepers are getting called out for coming off their line lately in La Liga, Chris. I couldn't agree more. I mean, the truth is, if you look at the probabilities that a shot's going to go in at that angle uh, in all the chaos late in the game, I'd much rather have that probability than standing on my own goal line waiting for Sergio Ramos to do his little dance and hit the ball, right? Speaking of Ramos, he is the top scorer since La Liga has been back from quarantine. Guys, could we have predicted this? You know something? A lot of people did not predict that Darth Vader was going to be successful for as long as he was. And Sergio Ramos is in the same category as far as I'm concerned. So he's got the dark side of the force with him and it's, and it's going really well. And, you know, we'll see what ends up happening. But he, he, he's riding, riding well. It, it does help that if most of your shots are PK, so it's a, it's a nice position to be in. It sure does. Confidence is sky high. All right, guys, let's switch over. Atletico Madrid beat Mallorca pretty comfortably 3-0. Guys, we previewed this match, and I remember saying that I didn't expect Mallorca to be too much of a threat, and they really weren't. I thought that Kubo was obviously bright. He had good moments, and... He had a good shot off in the first half that was dangerous. Had a, a nice dribbling against three guys. Might, might go on his highlight video, but the final product did not seem to worry Atletico. Scott, what was your thoughts on how the ma- match played out? Yeah, so for the match, possession was relatively even. I think it was 51-49% in Mallorca's favor. It... You know, despite the the even playing field, um, you know they they just like so they didn't have that end product. They did have their time in the attacking third. That was great, but the final ball was never there, and that's really been the story of their season. It's you know, good attacking soccer football at some points, um, just no end product. And you know, when you play expansive attacking football against a team like Atletico Madrid, you're going to pay. So, you know, they got their, their three chances. They took them. Uh, you just can't concede that kind of space to Atletico. Exactly. A pretty horrible way to commit that first PK. Horrendous, you know, defender 101 blunder there, DJ will tell you. 
Chris Morata's first PK was called back because Manolo Reina was off his line. Is La Liga all of a sudden cracking down on this? What's going on? Well, I just think they feel that goalkeepers have uh, too good of a chance to stop PKs in La Liga, it must be. So uh, most other leagues around the world, they think that keepers don't have much of a chance. So quite candidly, that that was a real uh, heartbreaker um, to see that not once but twice in the last week uh, with with Ter Stegen um, suffering from that um, particular fate. yeah, I'm not sure what what to think about this. And rules rules are the rules, but uh, I'm just wondering. I don't know how you can shift the rules to kind of even things out, except for my favorite, which is go back to a 35 yard NASL shootout and let's <laughs> see what Sergio Ramos can do against the goalkeepers in those situations. Well, that looks pretty entertaining. <laughs> a lot more entertaining than PKs from a goalkeeper perspective, I will tell you, because a lot of times when I was in the goal. Most of the, most of the highlights I got was me walking to the back of the net and, and getting the ball out. So Morata puts away the second PK. DJ, what's the mentality after you've missed a PK and then you know you get it back? You get to retake it. I think, especially for Morata, after he missed, I think he obviously felt blessed to have a second chance. Um, honestly, I think it's just a. I don't even know if it's a mentality. I'd much rather call it a game because. You've already gone once. Keeper saved it. So now you have the option, do I go that same way or do I go the other way or do I hit it down the middle? So I think it's kind of a mind game. But at the end of the day, it's just all about confidence. And Murata showed it. You know, he's a, he knows he's a good striker. And he, the second one was perfect. He just banged it up for corner. So. And it's just so hard for a keeper, once they get a called back, for them just to get back up for it. And I will tell you, what you guys said earlier, you know, what was the defender thinking in that situation? Another low probability. Trust the keeper. He's either going to do it or he's not. But don't give him the the probabilities that a PK can give. Exactly. And the mind games were real on that second PK. Murata's second goal, Chris, was also some pretty poor defending, like you mentioned on the first PK. It was a 1v3 in the box. Murata is pretty much pinned up against the Mallorca defender. And then once again, the Mallorca defender gets caught square ball watching Murata makes a pretty simple movement to get him behind for the cross and the Mallorca defender falls over which was obviously pretty poor so Mallorca's defense was was pretty suspicious and then finally to top it all off Koke scores a goal on a deflection Chris what is your mentality and technique as the shot is being taken and you realize midway through it's going to be deflected and you're already diving Okay, so I've studied this for years, as you guys know. I'm a veteran keeper, and I've perfected the technique of saying, oh, shite, because that's about the only thing you can do when you see a deflection. It's just time slows down and speeds up all all at the same instance, and you're just not sure what to do, and you're you're hoping by some dumb luck your hand – the fingertips can get to the ball and that just doesn't happen. Right. So, um, so yeah, I can't say much about the deflection. The second goal, I will tell you, and I will, I'm going to, I, you know, other defenders, AKA Sam Brotherton thinks that I'm too harsh on defenders, but I'm going to actually come to the aid of the defender here. It's, it's a, it's a tough position. He's caught, he's caught out of position and he, 
the ball's there and he loses he he loses touch with his defender, right? And it breaks my heart when that happens, but that ball's being whipped in there. The person who I would I would sit down and have a conversation is the goalkeeper, right? If when that when that angle gets cut, there he there's no way he's going to be able to take a shot on goal. One has to cheat out and not just re- rely on reaction, but hopefully cut that off because that ball cut across at the three or four yard line. And to me, that's almost unforgivable that a keeper doesn't at least try to deflect it. And he may deflect it into a striker's foot, but it's a lot better than <laughs> whipping right across your three or four yard line in your house. That is not acceptable. So I'm not going to fault the defender on this, but I do think the keeper needs to, to, to keep the house clean. Well, that's a great perspective. I'm sure DJ would also add, though, that you know, it is also the defender's fault. And I would certainly add that as well. So maybe everyone should look in the mirror and we're, we're going to move on. Athletic Club played Real Madrid and they lost again. 0-1, Real Madrid got the winner. Surprise, surprise from a Sergio Ramos PK. Athletic could have, it could have been a slip up for Real, but they took care of business. Scott, how did this play out? So uh, the disappointing for me, or this disappointing thing for me was that Real Madrid didn't take care of business early on. In the first half, they had a number of really high-quality opportunities, and they just continuously scuffed them. So ultimately, those failures in the first half, they put them in this position where now they have to deal with a little bit of criticism, uh, you know, these accusations of far helping them out. And, um, you know, ultimately, I don't think they're going to be bothered by it. They got the three points close to the title. but that is something I think Zidane has to look at. You know, was it the combination of players that were that were attacking the net in the first half? Um, you know, if he has Hazard back in there, maybe Vinicius Jr. getting in behind, should they create higher quality opportunities? Uh, maybe reduce the amount of work that Benzema is doing in the buildup, so he can be the one meeting the ball in the box. Um, but for me, that was the big issue from Real Madrid's perspective. Uh, for Athletic Club. Um, I would say a poor first half. They were very open uh, despite trying to sit back and be a little more compact. Uh, but in the second half, they showed very well. And uh, it was really unlucky for them that they came away with nothing. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm going to be honest with you. The Real Madrid games this week, I think I'd rather dig ditches than watch, right? I mean, these are 1-0 matches. Um, I will say that Real Madrid is – I'm sorry, Liverpool has more or less done the same thing too, is they've gotten 1-0 results against vastly inferior teams, and I guess that's what it takes to win uh, a competition that's got 38 matches. DJ, what's your take on that? Yeah, I think, you know, especially towards the end of the season, obviously with the quarantine, you know, the guys had the rest, but usually when you don't have the quarantine, you know, you just trying to scrap away points in whatever way it is, whether it's PK, whether it's VAR, a goal is a goal. Whether it's hit us the other team's defender and goes in the goal, it's an own goal. That's three points you get to take home. So I think Real Madrid, especially after this quarantine, has been has been able to just scrap, salvage these points and continue to grow. Especially once Barca slipped up, they took advantage of it, and obviously you see where it is at where they're at where they're at now for a reason. Definitely have that killer instinct. And guys, we need to talk about this penalty. On Marcelo, there's a big debate here. You know, Marcelo comes in, and 
the athletic club player seems to be twisting his body and puts his left leg out to block Marcelo's path. And then he actually turns with the ball and gets away from Marcelo's pressure. Is, is this a PK, bluntly? Oof, that's a great question. Um, yes and no. <laughs> so it's, it's one of those where a more lenient referee, I think, would let it go. Uh, just because the defender actually did a decent job in establishing position in the tackle. Uh, I think he actually did get a touch on the ball. I'd have to look at it again. Um, but in the end, he does step on Marcelo's foot. He does go down, and that's, again, where you are going to see that given. Um, so, again, unlucky for Athletic Club. I think they have an argument that uh, the penalty shouldn't have been given. But at the same time, a con the contact that, that does generally result in a, a penalty kick was there. So, I mean, either way, you know, that one's a toss-up for me. So the question for me is, is that a foul in the middle of the field? If your midfielder does that turn on another midfielder, I don't, I don't really think so personally. I think that's a great, great way of looking at it. Um, it prob in, in my mind, it isn't. Um, now I haven't refereed in probably 20 years, um, but that that's, you know, I, to me, and you guys are going to think I'm crazy, but I think this is part of a vast conspiracy of field players versus goalkeepers in terms of just getting more penalty kicks. So um, I, I will tell you that um, in, in this particular case, if you look at it in terms of expected goals, Real Madrid was expe had expected goals of 2.9 versus athletic clubs of 0.24. So maybe karma or justice does prevail in the end in this the situation. stats gods prevail i guess so i mean it's numbers and numbers you know video and math don't lie so you know what it's just like dj said at the end of the day a goal is a goal a pk is a pk whether var <laughs> is involved or not but dj can you help us break down ramos's technique of looking at the keeper directly into his eyes and to his soul and just always putting it a little too far and the keeper just can't reach it. What, what's that technique like? I think, like I said earlier, for me, Ramos, PK and his technique has just been, as I said, disrespectful. <laughs> um, obviously with Great his, way to put it. With his panencas and, and the mind games he plays with the keepers, I mean, including his free kick, everyone's seen, um, especially with that athletic one, you know, keepers, there's no chance keepers touching that. Um, and I think as a keeper, it's like, where do I go? You know, because he's hit three, four panenkas down the middle. So you might take that risk and just stand in the middle. You know, but also he showed that, like in that PK, that he can bang it upper corner, no problem. So, yeah, like I said, I think it's just no respect for the keepers, you know. He's just a different animal after this quarantine. Under pressure as well. I mean, Scott, you, you got to love that. Oh, yeah, especially coming from the captain. That's exactly the kind of leadership, the kind of courage that you want him to bring to your team. So, and this team has shown that level of resilience since the restart. So, I mean, it's, you can definitely tell they're feeding off of Ramos and, and his leadership style. You know, as a, a fan, you, you'd love to see that from your side. And the type of PK that Chris would probably hate. <laughs> but let's move on. <laughs> let's move on to Villarreal versus Barca. A 4-1 scoreline. Rizu silenced 
all the haters, guys. I was proud to see that. Amazing performance by the Frenchman and, of course, from the majestic Messi. Uh, I was disappointed, frankly, that the first goal was an own goal, even though I am a defender. I thought that Griezmann was going to flick that in with his back heel regardless, which would have been awesome for him to get that goal after all the criticism he has gotten. But Chris, um, I wanted to ask you, on Villarreal's goal, Tristegan makes a save on Cazorla, and he pushes it out right to his left. Mm-hmm. But the ball falls right to Moreno. So it's an amazing save, but it falls right to the striker. You know, yeah. what, what is your mentality? What are you saying to your defenders right after that happens? Or can you do better? Should Tristegan do, you know, a little bit better there for the first Villarreal goal? Well, I will tell you, most uh, advanced keepers, they've had embedded in their brain parry wide, parry wide, or parry over the inline a lot. The only problem is even with people like Ter Stegen, where you have a ball being struck at you at, 80 miles per hour or uh, 24 yards per, per second, right? Uh, you know, you're just, <laughs> you're just trying to get something up, right? right. And um, in that particular situation, you just have to credit the, uh, the striker for making the run all the way to the inline, right? It's just like you tell defenders, you, you know, go all the way to the inline until the ball's out. Forwards do the same thing, and then occasionally they get rewarded with gifts like that, right? So, you know, I just, it's hard to blame a keeper when they're getting balls crushed at them for saying, hey, wait a minute, you didn't parry at 25 yards to the right or to the left in that situation. Exactly. The tough life of being a goalkeeper. But Suarez, hey, Suarez's goal was pretty ridiculous. Nothing the keeper can do there. You know, Messi takes the ball on the initial play all the way down, off his chest, almost like a hold-up striker, number nine. Then he flicks it over the next defender, turns it around. He dribbles past three more defenders, attracts everyone centrally, and then plays it out to Suarez for an incredible finish that, by the way, did take a little bit of of deflection. So, DJ, let's just dissect the impossible for a second. This is an impossible question. How do you go about defending Messi not in general, but in this specific situation where he's one against three. I think, first of all, once once the ball is played to Messi, you just you either take him out there, right there. Like you know, obviously in that in that situation, he held the ball up first, so there you have a chance to foul him. You know, completely just put him on his backside and 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 then you know everybody get back. But I think after that, it's just defenders are just caught out. Once he's on his left foot. Uh, it's it's over, you know. But for me personally, if I were to defend Messi, the only whatever you can call it weakness or something that's going to restrict him would be to just force him on his right, you know. Because every time, as you see, when he starts on the right, he cuts on his left. Whether he's shooting or he's playing a over the top ball to Jordi Alba or connecting between lines, it's 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 deadly. So for me, I would just force him right, you know. You know, even defenders nowadays they still get beat to the right with his speed. But if he's on his right foot, it's way better than him being on his left. For me, that's. That's what I have. <laughs> Scott, easier said than done, right? Oh, much easier said than done. Messi just rides contact so well. Um, even if you do get a touch on him, you're, you're not even necessarily slowing him down. So your one hope as a defender is to try and funnel him into some cover. And then just, you know, if you can encourage him to take too many touches, 
uh, I think that's probably your best bet. That's that's when we're generally seeing him lose the ball these days. Um, but again, yeah, easier said than done. Exactly. They need to talk to Pepe and Ramos back in the day to understand how to play against him. And he still, you know, defeated them quite well. But I think a good topic to talk about is Messi played more central in this game. And why? Because Griezmann and Suarez were two strikers up top. They played almost a 4-4-2-S lineup or with Messi right behind the two strikers. And it worked. It worked exceptionally well against the Villarreal side that was, you know, let's be quite honest, pretty soft, I thought, defensively. And I think the Ansu Fati goal at the end against one-on-one against Albiol, you know, summed it all up for them. They were pretty wide open and it was pretty easy to play through them. I thought they over-defended um, on certain players and didn't have quite the right balance in 1v1 with a guy in behind covering the, the space behind not quite well. And it was just a little too easy and not what you would hope for a side that's been playing so so well as of late. So obviously at the end, Ansu Fati gets his goal. We've talked a lot about him starting. But after this performance and with Griezmann playing up top with Suarez with the two strikers, do we think that Ansu Fati should still start or should it be Griezmann? So I like Setien's changing system. Um, bringing uh, Griezmann a little bit deeper into that second striker role that he's, he's actually more comfortable in, I think was a catalyst for Barcelona's success in this match. But going forward, how many teams are going to play Barcelona the same way Villarreal did. Um, so the way I described it to someone was Villarreal came out like a middleweight boxer going up against a heavyweight trying to play the heavyweights game. So it was, it was just a very tactically naive performance. Um, I, I think going forward, you're going to see a lot of teams sit back and try and counter. So I don't think that there's a space for Griezmann going forward that we saw in this match. So I think it does still have to be um, specific to the matchup. And more often than not, going forward, I think that will suit Fatih more so than Griezmann. DJ Fatih or Griezmann? Or can you play both? Is it possible? Uh, I don't know about both, just the way Barca lines up. But for me, I would agree with what Scott was saying. It depends on who they're playing, you know. Because also... Griezmann plays really well. He can play 90 or even higher up than that, 60, 70. And I think Fati is also very good coming off the bench. He's young. He's got pace. He can just run at defenders. You know, if Barca needs to see out a game, I think that's a real opportunity for Fati to just come in, maybe get that extra goal like he did against Villarreal, or maybe just to, to run at that left back who's a bit too tired, been running for 90 minutes. So I think he adds a different dynamic to it. Um, obviously, I loved Griezmann playing in this game. It was great to see him connect with Messi and Suarez. You know, I think they kind of been missing that a little bit, just trying to learn each other. But yeah, for me right now, I'd, I'd probably play Griezmann and then bring Fati off the bench just because Fati, you know, he's going to make an impact as soon as he comes on the field. I think that's a great point. Let's switch guys to some previews. Let's preview some important, important matches coming up. Scott, can you kick us off with the Hitafe? match versus Villarreal on Wednesday night. What should we expect? Yeah, so the interesting uh, point of view from this one is it's two very system-based teams. So with Hatafe, you're going to see a side that's very compact, very tough in the counter press, 
and uh, you know, not afraid to play some old school football. With uh, Villarreal, as we saw against Barcelona, they have an identity. They stick to it. Both teams know what to expect in this matchup. Um, I think ultimately we're going to see Hitape take advantage of all the space that Villarreal is trying to to uh, create as they get into the attacking phases. You know, when you look at the way Hitape played Real Madrid, Madrid struggled to break the, the Hitape pressure. I don't see Villarreal really having much more success. Um, so this one, I think, should go to Hitafe. Should be a very, very entertaining match. Um, I love the contrasting styles. But, uh, you know, I do think the, the, the counterattacking team that's going to control space is going to be more successful. Definitely. So next up, we got Atletico Madrid versus Real Betis on Saturday. And it seems to be that the Celta Vigo Atletico Madrid match will finish finish as a tie 1-1. So you can expect Atletico Madrid to definitely be fired up and respond against this match against Betis on Saturday. Morata is in red-hot form, as we talked about in the Mallorca match, and again scoring against Celta Vigo. Uh, Koke and Tomas also playing very well in midfield and controlling the center of the park exceptionally well, both on the offensive and the defensive side, as you can expect from Simeone and his team. I don't expect Betis to cause them too many issues, especially with the recent results they have had. And also, importantly, Jao Felix could likely be out again with a minor ankle injury. I don't think that will play a massive role, though, for Atletico's um, firepower up top. I think they have the goods. I think they have what it takes to take care of business. Scott, Real Madrid faces Deportivo Alaves. And then they're away to Granada. Any potential for a slip-up here? So I think this game against Alaves should be a pretty comfortable one for Real Madrid. Uh, I'm looking for a three-goal margin. So get away from the, uh, the controversy of the one-nils. So when you look at Deportivo's season uh, since a restart, I think they have one win in, in uh, you know, these seven matches. So it's, it's not a side that has come back sharp. And uh, quite frankly, get, looking at the schedule that they have in front of them, they better hope that the teams in the relegation zone, especially Mallorca, don't pick up six points. Because I don't see Alaves winning any more games this season. So I think Real Madrid wins this one pretty comfortably. Uh, this this match against Granada, that's a really interesting one. It's it's another very tough, compact, defensive team. Um, I think we are going to see uh, probably the strongest side that Real Madrid can field. Uh, so ultimately, they win this game, and um, you know, then that puts them in a position where they just have to beat Villarreal to claim the title, or you know, should at that point. So I think we're going to see Real Madrid's strongest side. Uh, it should still be a very tight, compact game. Uh, I think it'll be a nervy affair, especially with so much on the line. But we should see Real Madrid come away with two victories. Are we going to see another Ramos PK? Oh, let's hope so. <laughs> <laughs> another stare down. You described a disrespectful PK. Perhaps we will. Barcelona faces last place Espanyol in the Catalan Derby on Wednesday. They are unbeaten in the Catalan Derby in their last 21 matches, keeping a clean sheet in 15 of them. 
They've been very good at the Camp Nou, and we should expect confidence to be sky high after the performance against Villarreal. I expect Griezmann to start, as DJ was saying. I think Ansu Fati will make a big impact off the bench. Do expect the two strikers and Messi behind. But we shall see. Um, I mean, Espanyol does not seem to you know, cause or think about causing a threat from Barcelona's perspective. But you never know. Uh, history will tell us otherwise. They really have nothing to lose here, uh, and the pressure is uh, is all on Barcelona. There's actually it's all on Madrid. I would say Barcelona doesn't have any more pressure now because La Liga is pretty much done and dusted. As a Barcelona fan, hate to say it, but then they face Real Valladolid this Saturday, which at the end of the day should be again nothing less than than three points. And finally, we have Villarreal taking on Real Sociedad. Scott, this is a really important matchup on Monday, especially for Europa League. Yeah, so the Europa League implications are very strong with this game. Um, this one should be a fun one to watch. You know, both uh, Villarreal came out after the uh, the restart, looking very strong. Uh, Real Sociedad has really tanked, but both sides have the potential to to really play some attractive football. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, which side takes the initiative, uh, you know, who's able to establish uh, control of the match. I would like to see Real Sociedad put in a, a strong performance uh, and just make this a game. So it's such a, a young, talented side. Um, this one really does have the potential to, to be an exciting matchup. Just got to see if they can get back on track. I mean, the wheels have really fallen off at Sociedad. Important matches coming up. So let's turn over to Chris for some strength of schedule and what we're all looking forward to with only a few matches left. So I think the key takeaway on this is the folks that have done so well uh, since the restart has been Real Madrid. Uh, you know, they've been literally flawless, right? Uh, and Atletico Madrid has been um you know, they've, they've experienced no losses, two ties, the rest wins. Um, the folks that have really stumbled have been Real Sociedad, um, which you mentioned just a moment ago, Scott, as well as Valencia and Hatafe, right? And it seems like these Europa, uh, potential Europa-eligible teams are doing their best to, to, to kind of give up their positions. Um, but no one's really making a strong play towards that. So if you really look at the remaining um, fixtures, which is only four. Um, I am inclined to agree, and I, I, I hope someone disagrees with me, but um, Barca's got a pretty easy schedule, and Real Madrid's got a little bit of work um, over the next uh, couple of uh, games, really the second and third match. While as yet, um, folks that have it really hard are Villarreal and Real Sociedad. Um, does anybody want to help me unpack uh, what, what the table says here? Uh, so from Real Madrid's perspective, I think the most difficult game is Granada. Um, if Villarreal wants to come out and press them like they did Barcelona, I'm not too concerned uh, about that matchup. Real Madrid should take advantage of all that space. Uh, but looking further down the table, the, the draw that really interests me is athletic Bilbao against Sevilla. If Bilbao gets three points here, watch out 
for them for uh, one of those Europa League spots. I, I think Villarreal will have a tough time accumulating points the rest of the way. Watch out for Bilbao to sneak by and, and take that spot from them. I think Bilbao takes that spot 100%, Scott. That's a great point. Um, I, I do not see Sociedad with that strength of schedule, especially those last three games coming up with, with all those points. And again, you know, that Sociedad before the break, as you guys have mentioned, was, was so good. And it seems that confidence has just dropped. I don't know what they were doing. But Bilbao is on the way up. Sociedad is on the way down. I think Villarreal will hold on to that spot um, over, over Hitafe, but I can see Bilbao coming up and, and making their own case. I think, I think it should be interesting to see. Um, you guys should expect to see something from Sevilla. I think watching their previous games, they played really well. But as you see, they've tied Barca, you know, and stuff like that. They've tied the top teams, but they've also given up some points too. But I also think with their remaining schedule, they will definitely push. I can see them getting all the points they have left, especially if they get a win against Athletic Club. So look out for them. All right. Well, I, I guess just to spend a, a moment and chat about, I think fairly quickly about the relegation. Um, I don't even know if it's a battle, right? Um, Alaves has got 35 points, Mallorca 29, Leganes 28, and Espanol 24. I don't see Mallorca picking up six points in four matches, right? I mean, that means that Alaves would literally just have to almost lose everything or go at least one and three. Um, so I don't know if there's a whole lot to talk about there. Um, I am sad to see Mallorca, the Norwich of La Liga, go away. Um, um, but, um, you know, uh, you, you, you just cheer for those guys as much as you can and you enjoy the ride for what it is. I think relegation is, is pretty much uh, done and dusted, Chris, as you said. So, guys, I've added in some trivia for all three of you. Today we're going to add in some trivia. Let's start off with the first question. Are you ready? Who are the three clubs to never be relegated from La Liga? Real Madrid, Barcelona, and Athletic Club. Bingo. Well done, Scott. <laughs> I had the first two, but I didn't know. Yeah, the, DJ had the first two. Who would you have guessed on the, on the third one? I was probably going to say Villarreal. Okay. All right. Question two. Which team has the record for most consecutive games without conceding a goal? And you get a bonus point for which year? That's a tough one. Team not so tough. Year pretty tough. Boy, that's a good one. You know what? Let's start with the team. Let's go to Barca. Teams hey, from Scott says Barca. Any other takers? Barca. Barca, Barca. Chris? I think I'm going to have to go with Barca too. Uh, Barca? Yeah. All three across the board? Mm -hmm. Okay, well, not, it's not Barca. It's another team. Most consecutive games without conceding. Let's think about Atletico. that. Oh, Atletico. Yes. Atletico, 13, December 1990 to March 1991. Wow. Never would have guessed that. <laughs> All right. This, this one's going to be a little bit easier. A little bit easier. Who has the most red cards for a single club? 
The boy Sergio Ramos. It's the boy Sergio Ramos. Twenty-four red cards, all with Real Madrid. But you know what? It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, he's scoring goals. He is the top scorer in La Liga since quarantine, so he won't care. All right. Second to last question: Which team has the most draws overall in La Liga? Let's go. Uh, let's go, Granada. Granada. Okay, DJ. Yeah, I have no idea. Hmm. Any takers, Chris? Villarreal. Villarreal. I'm going to say Sevilla. These are good guesses, but the winner is Bilbao with 646 ties. All right. Finally, which player has the most career league appearances at one club? Oh, what's his name? Is that Raul? Yes, it is Raul. Are you going to say Raul? Yeah, I was thinking about Raul. It is the legendary Raul. Congratulations, guys. It was pretty good. Well done. These are not easy questions, except for, obviously, Sergio Ramos. That was way too easy. <laughs> Cannot add that in again. We'll switch it up next time, but that wraps us up, guys. Thanks once again for tuning in to another episode of the Total Football Analysis La Liga podcast. A big thank you to Chris, DJ, and Scott. For your awesome insights today, we would like to also thank Total Football Analysis Solutions. Go check out www.totalfootballanalysis.com. They are the world's largest open source soccer analyst community. See you next week, and hasta luego.